Welcome to the Why They Are So Angry podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Carol Francois, a proud baby boomer with over 30 years experience as an educator and learning leader. And I'm Courtney Square, your resident first generation millennial. Join us as we present an unvarnished look at systemic racism in America throughout history and up to modern times. We invite you to pull up a chair, put in your earbuds, and allow us to enlighten, educate, and explore the real reasons why Black African Americans are so angry. Because until you know the whole history, it isn't American history at all. You know, Courtney, the civil rights movement of the 1950s and 60s and the current social justice movement both have relied on men and women to address this country's ingrained systemic racism. It's true, Aunt Carol, but since we're focusing on women and Black girl magic this month, we're going to highlight what is often overlooked in history. The many women who played important roles in the civil rights movement, from leading local civil rights organizations to serving as lawyers on school segregation lawsuits. Well, you're right. Let's focus on women, because women have definitely been integral in the civil rights movement, but their leadership in the movement has often been overshadowed by men who still get more attention and credit for its successes in popular historical narratives and commemorations. Also, there is one little dirty secret that's not talked about very much about the movement, and that's how many women experience gender discrimination and sexual harassment within the civil rights movement. Sad but true. And later, these women turned their efforts and energies towards the feminist movement of the 70s. Yep. Some of them did. An early feminist and civil rights leader who rarely gets credit for her work in the movement is Polly Murray. After breaking ground as the first Black female Episcopal priest, Polly Murray earned a law degree and became California's first Black Deputy Attorney General. Aunt Carol, isn't she also one of the early proponents of intersectional feminism, bringing to light the disproportionate effect of racial discrimination on women of color? You got that right, Courtney. Now, although Kimberly Crenshaw gets the credit for coining the term intersectionality over 30 years ago, it was Murray who actually called it out in the 60s and 70s. Now, someone else we rarely hear about is anti-segregation activist Ella Baker. Baker was a founding member of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, also known as SNCC, as well as a major player in the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, NAACP, and she was integral in the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, SCLC. Now, most of those organizations, in fact, all three of those organizations mainly are seen as being led by men. But Ella Barker remained a fervent advocate for equal rights until her death in 1986, and she was a force behind the scenes in all three of those major groups. 
Another woman who led the NAACP's branch in her home state of Arkansas was an organizer and journalist by the name of Daisy Bates. She was a key figure in spreading the news of desegregation ruling violations around the country, and she also served as an important mentor to the Little Rock Nine. Right. That Little Rock Nine, those were those students who went to Little Rock High School and desegregated it in spite of the violence and anger directed at them. Now, speaking of school desegregation, although much is written about Thurgood Marshall, and well, it should be, and his um, whole process of being involved in the Brown versus Board of Education case that overturned segregated public schools, it was actually Constance Baker Motley, who in 1950 wrote the original complaint in the case of Brown v. Board of Education. She was also the first African-American woman to argue a case before the United States Supreme Court, and she was successful in nine of the 10 cases she argued before the Supreme Court. What a record. Now, perhaps my favorite unsung hero and uh, heroine, actually, of the civil rights movement is a major promoter of nonviolent resistance, activist Diane Nash. Now, she organized lunch counter and school sit-ins, and Nash was also a frontline member of the Freedom Riders. That was a group of activists that went from state to state on public buses protesting segregation. Now, Nash and her fellow riders regularly put themselves at risk. They faced angry mobs of locals in each town uh, where they staged their protests, and they were not only angry, but they were violent mobs. Now, she was also a key activist in the the um, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, SNCC, in Atlanta. Now, unfortunately, despite all of her abilities, she was leapfrogged over by several men, including John Lewis, for leadership in SNCC. Now, as much as those male leaders are respected and should be respected for their achievements, it was Diane Nash who was seen as as central to the Nashville movement, and most people there saw her as the real leader. They did. They did indeed, Courtney. Now, another fearless woman was Daisy Lampkin. She was a member of the National NAACP board from Pittsburgh, and she traveled around the country, garnering memberships in the organization and helping to organize branches back way back in the 30s and 40s before it became fashionable or popular or safe for women to travel alone. Now, that took a lot of courage because Black African-American women could be subject to sexual abuse and violence simply because of their race, uh, much less if they were advocating for civil rights while traveling. So she really took a leap and risked her own life for the civil rights movement. She did because women had to be uh, very, very courageous to do things like that and courageous to make their mark in the civil rights movement in general. Now, a name that most of us know that um, is not one of those individuals that we like one of those individuals that we talked about that not a lot of people know about is Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks really was not overlooked as a leader of the civil rights movement. In fact, she's held up as uh, uh, an icon of that movement. But it's the people behind her famous refusal to give up her seat on a Montgomery, Alabama bus that were the nameless, faceless women maids, babysitters, charwomen who were tired of boarding the buses in Montgomery and being assaulted and called out of their names and abused by white bus drivers. Parks actually represented them 
and their fight against degrading conditions. So Courtney, as heroic and meaningful as Rosa Parks' actions was in sparking the Montgomery bus boycott, a major milestone in the civil rights movement, there was someone largely unknown until lately who actually lit the fuse. Someone until only recently who's come to light for her role in a key incident that got that whole business of a boycott rolling. You're absolutely right, Ann Carol. Now, most of us, or even those of us with the even with a small uh, knowledge of Black history, know who Rosa Parks is by story and by picture. Her mugshot has been seen everywhere from textbooks to t-shirts and all over the internet as memes. She is the rallying a photo for the bus boycott. But what if I told you that it was somebody else nine months old, nine months before Rosa Parks that actually had the spontaneous uh, act of not giving up her seat on the bus? This act of defiant activism was done by a 15-year-old, a 15-year-old who risked both her safety and freedom, as well as her reputation, a 15-year-old by the name of Claudette Colvin. And today I'm going to share with you what happened when Claudette Colvin boarded her Montgomery bus on the way home on March 2nd, 1955. Hmm. Well, this is intriguing. I don't know where this is all leading, but Rosa Parks has always been the center of this story. And I'm surprised there's another name that we need to know. Well, it all starts with Claudette Colvin boarding the bus that she normally took home from school on March 2nd, 1955. Now, this was a different day, though. It was the day that she and the rest of her African-American students who attended her segregated school had come to the end of their Black History Week lessons. Now, throughout the week and the month, they had learned about African-American leaders and heroes and entrepreneurs from throughout history. But that day's final lesson was about Harriet Tubman and Sojourner Truth. Now, these two women had, were so brave in the face of slavery and in the face of just white supremacy in America, it filled Claudette with power and pride. Now, after the study lesson about those two uh, women, the teacher gave Claudette's class a chance to discuss the daily injustices they face themselves living in the segregated south it's something as simple as the right to try on clothes and shoes at the local shops was a right that was denied them now as Claudette sat on the bus and thought about that lesson the bus took its usual route and stopped to pick up passengers as the bus began to fill one by one a female passenger came to the back of the bus where Claudette and her friends were sitting now the three students that were with Claudette did what they were supposed to do at the time they got up without any resistance and gave up their seats now, when it was her turn and she was asked to give up her seat, Claudette simply said no. Wow, that's a powerful, very small, but very powerful word. Now, in a 2009 interview with NPR, Claudette explained, my head was just too filled with Black history. You know, the oppression that we went through, it felt like Sojourner Truth was on one side pushing me down and Harriet Tubman was on the other side pushing me down. I could not get up. 
Hmm. She was being held down by history on both sides, I guess. Now, the bus driver quickly pulled the bus to an abrupt stop uh, when the passenger reported Claudette's refusal. And he quickly came to the back of the bus and he observed that Claudette had no intentions of giving up her seat. So he went back to the front of the bus and radioed for the police and quickly of two police officers were boarding the bus. And when the bus driver pointed out Claudette, the police very snarkily said, we've had trouble with that thing before. So they didn't even speak of her as if she were a person, a youngster, that thing. Exactly. Now the officers made their way to the back where Claudette was sitting and ordered her to get up. And once again, she replied no. And at, by this time, she was very upset and very angry. And Claudette is quoted as saying that hot tears were just coming down her face because she was just, she had had it. Claudette had had enough of being denied just the simple right to sit wherever she wanted on the public bus. Now, by that time, the police were shouting at her to get up and warning that she would be arrested. Now, however, in that moment, she stood strong, just like the women that she had learned about that day and yelled back. It's my constitutional right to sit here as much as that lady. I paid my fare. It's my constitutional right. Oh, boy, Courtney. As a 15 year old, Claudette was pretty bold to take on years of Jim Crow laws. So this sounds like things are about to take a turn for the worse. Let's take a break. And when we come back, I can't wait to hear what happened to Claudette. Want to learn more about systemic racism? Or maybe you want to leave us a comment, rate our show, subscribe, get lots of swag, or reach out to us on social media. Well, you can. Go to our website, www.podpage.com, Why Are They So Angry?, and connect with Courtney and me. You can even sign up to take our course, Systemic Racism, See It, Say It, Confront It. All that waiting for you at www.podpage.com. Why are they so angry? See you there. All right, Courtney, we're back. Claudette had a lot of nerve to proclaim that she had a constitutional right not to give up her seat to a white passenger. What happened next? Well, when we left young Claudette, she was fighting for her rights calmly explaining to two burly police officers an angry bus driver and probably a frazzled female white passenger as well as the public bus that she did not want to give up her seat now before she knew it claudette's books were flying off her lap as police officers grabbed on one side grabbed her wrist and roughly dragged her off the bus now claudette knew not to fight back so she let her body go entirely limp even though one of the officers on purpose kicked her in the stomach i guess he wanted her to react you know because that's a natural reaction if somebody kicks you you're going to do something Mm. but she did nothing she just continued to let her body go limp as these two adult males drug a minor child off the bus Mm. now Claudette continued to scream about her rights as granted by the Constitution as her friends in the back who could do nothing and the white passengers just looked on. Um, now, as soon as they, she was off the bus, there was a, an awaiting police car. Now, reality set in when the doors of the police call, car closed. Well, Claudette was handcuffed. The doors of the police car closed and she was alone. Mm. Now, soon Claudette was joined in the back seat by a police officer and two officers in the front. 
and the car began its journey into the Montgomery sunset. Hmm. Now all Claudette could do was pray and pray that someone at least saw what would happen and alert her mother or some other adult that she knew. And another prayer was that she would make it to the juvenile jail. Yeah, that is, she needed to pray for that because she was in real danger now. She was in more danger than she than any of us could actually realize. Now, as the ride to wherever they were taking her continued, the officers laughed and teased as Claudette said she prayed and quoted scriptures out loud while the officers took turns trying to guess her bra size and make very racial and very inappropriate sexual comments and taunts towards the teenager. Now, Claudette, like most Black girls, knew all too well, the officers had the right to do whatever they wanted with her with no recourse. So Mm. again, she was just trying to make it to the jail because she was alone in the car with these men. Now, once she got to the police station, she realized she wasn't going to be taken to the juvenile jail. She was at the adult jail, but at least she had made it there safely. Now, when she was pulled out of the car, she was met by an even larger crowd of adult male white officers and the sexual taunting and the racial taunting and the epithets continued. And the things that they said to her were printed, but I won't even fix my mouth to repeat them Mm. now she was roughly fingerprinted and thrown into a dark dank cell with no phone call and still nobody at least in Claudette's mind knew where she was now she says she fell to her knees when she heard the door slam and fear wash over her and she said she prayed harder than she had ever prayed in her life that's probably about all she had left to her couldn't make a phone call didn't know if anybody knew where she was this this does not bode well yes this is very very scary now although she was praying in her cell and didn't know what was going on her prayers were being answered just as soon as she got off that bus the students who had seen what happened ran to alert her mother to tell her what was going on who then contacted Claudette's pastor who she held in very high esteem pastor Johnson to get gather the money so she could be released that very night Hmm. now by may of that year uh, claudette had got her day in court now she was charged with three crimes she was charged with three crimes Hmm. disturbing the peace and breaking the segregation law those two charges were dropped but she was found guilty of assaulting that police officer you know the one that kicked her in the stomach she somehow mysteriously assaulted him and was charged with that Mm -hmm. boy oh boy every time i hear these kinds of stories i i'm left speechless but go ahead now, after hearing Claudette's story, I'm sure a lot of people are wondering, OK, why do we know Rosa Parks story about giving up her seat and we don't know a lot about Claudette or why do we have to dig extra hard to find Claudette's story? Okay, well, there's a couple reasons for that, and I'll explain now. Claudette's idea was a spontaneous one. There was no plan. It went from moment to moment. And in retrospect, it was both brave, but very, very dangerous. And it could have gone, you know, very, very wrong for the civil rights movement. And there was, you know, it was a spontaneous act. So that's why one of the reasons why we don't know much about it. Now, after her arrest, uh, Claudette found herself shunned by parts of her community um, because she was revealed to be a teen 
unwed mother. And civil rights leaders at the time, although aware of what Claudette had done, felt that she was not an appropriate symbol for what they were calling their test case. So she was not a PR, uh, positive PR image. She was not. Now, when asked why she personally thinks um, why people only know of Rosa Parks and not her, Claudette says that the NAACP and all the Black other organizations felt that uh, Rosa Parks would be a good icon because she was an adult. And she didn't think, and they didn't think that teenagers would be reliable, which is a very PR statement from mm. Claudette Colvin. She also says that Parks had the right hair and the right look. Her skin texture was the kind people would associate with the middle class. She fit the profile. And that was another quote from Claudette Colvin herself. Now, at the time, Rosa Parks was in her 30s and she was a secretary at the NAACP when she was arrested. Now, although no less brave than what Claudette did, uh, Rosa Parks had been prepped and prepared and put in, spe in the specific place for her historic bus ride. So although a bulk of us were taught the story that the incident was Rosa Parks just being so tired and so exhausted that she just did you know in in her righteous indignation said i won't give up it was a planned incident incident mm -hmm. it was not spontaneous at all okay well <laughs> history being corrected again yes but again no less brave no less taking a risk now david garrow a historian and author of bearing the cross martin luther king jr and the southern christian leadership conference he says that many people think that the action of parks was spontaneous but black civic leaders have been thinking about what to do um regarding the Montgomery bus uh, buses for years. Now, despite Claudette not being the official face of the Montgomery boycott at the time, I would like to end this, this story with words that Claudette would never forget. And they're from her pastor, Pastor Johnson, who was the person at the time that she held in highest esteem and whose opinion meant the entire world to her. Now, on the night of her release on the ride home, Pastor Johnson shared these words. He said, Claudette, I'm so proud of you. Everyone prays for freedom. We've all been praying and praying, but you're different. You want your answer the next morning. And I think you've brought a revolution to Montgomery. Now, if any of our readers want to learn more about Claudette and her life and her story, I urge you to pick up the book that I read to learn more about Claudette Colvin, um, which is Claudette Colvin Twice Toward Justice by Philip Hoos. Well, Courtney, that is quite a story. Claudette was brave and courageous, even though what she did was spontaneous and could have turned out really differently. Um, she actually laid the groundwork for youthful activists today. Her story, it's unforgettable, and it sheds a whole new light on a little-known backstory of that Montgomery bus boycott. You're absolutely right, Ann Carol, but let's bring things into the 21st century. Who are some, are t of some of today's new leaders in the fight for social justice? Three that immediately come to mind are Black Lives Matter co-founders Patrice Cullors, Alicia Garza, and Opal Tometi. These three young women were named to Time's list of the 100 most influential people in the world. Now, these three lionesses have taken on systemic racism, and they're not backing down. 
They have not. Now, just like them, there's another young woman I like to talk about, and uh, she was recognized as Washington, D.C.'s top 40 under 40 emerging leaders in 2000. Melanie Campbell has worked for youth and women's rights, and she was um, the person who created a youth-focused leadership development program called Black Youth Vote. Aunt Carol, so often, like Melanie Campbell, it's young people who take the cause to address to address injustice. And we saw this during the civil rights movement. Now, remember, it was the Children's Crusade in Montgomery, Alabama, that helped turn the tide of civil rights. In 1963, thousands of children, including young girls, were trained in the tactics of nonviolence. And on May 2nd, they marched throughout the city to peacefully protest segregation. And who can forget those incredible videos when Bull Connor ordered ordered the police to spray children with powerful water hoses, hit them with batons, and threaten them with police dogs. Young girls, some merely in elementary school, among the hundreds who were arrested and abused. Yep, those children and you, many of them girls, showed the courage of Claudette Colvin. Now, although not a child, but definitely a young, bright political star, Stacey Abrams, the voting right activist and New York Times bestselling author, deserves our attention too. She credits many of the people um, that she worked with for the victory, but she's seen as the force behind turning Georgia blue and electing not one, but two Democrats to the U.S. Senate in 2020. Now, Abrams has launched the fair fight to ensure every American has a vote in our election system. Considering the laws many Republican state legislators are attempting to pass these days to enforce voter suppression, Abrams will be busy for quite some time fighting for voting rights. Now, two honorable mentions I'd like to add, both of whom have entered the social justice fight as a result of the killings of Black men, are Janetta Elsey, who started the We the Protesters, Uh, the first digital civil rights movement after Michael Brown's shooting in Ferguson, Missouri, and Sierra Taylor, who started Dream Defenders as a response to the murder of Trayvon Martin in Florida. Well, Courtney, those two young women are great additions, and there's so many more. This episode could last for hours. All these women, both past and present, brought and continue to bring real Black girl magic and power to the social justice movement and efforts to wipe out systemic racism. By far, though, I'll always remember the courage of 15-year-old Claudette Colvin as an inspiration for both men and women. As will I, Aunt Carol. Now, listeners, if you miss us, as always, in between episodes or need to find us on social media, please go to our website, which is www.podpage.com slash why are they so angry, where you'll find all of our episodes and social media links. That brings today's episode to a close. We hope you join us next time where we continue providing the answer to the question, why are they so angry? As always, we hope you learn something so you can see it, say it, and confront it.